in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies, then talk about them. I am your host, Dustin Melbardis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry. What's up, Brian? Good evening, guys. How are you this evening? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, a, a movie came out that I think you were interested in. Um, have you seen it yet? Yeah, this was this was bound to happen once Dune was released. It was going <laughs> to end up being the last movie I had seen no matter which podcast we were on. Um, ended up seeing it 6.30 on Friday, the day it was released. I subsequently went home and watched it again on HBO Max, and then again on HBO Max, and then again on HBO Max, and pretty much beat it <laughs> to death over the weekend. Um, not tired of it yet. Probably won't get there, but uh, highly recommend it to all. Read the book. Watch the movie. You're welcome. Well, we've talked about uh, liking Dune. I, of course, have not seen it. Uh, I'm just going to have you just recount it to me through uh, stories and memories. Uh, I'd rather get it that way. I feel like that's how I'd rather actually get this Dune experience is just to have you tell me about it. But I will say it's, it's not just me and Brian here. But tonight, uh, we've got a guest here from San Marcos, Texas. It is my friend Jake Pierce. Say hello. Hey, how are you doing, y'all? We're excited. We're excited to talk about a, a movie. Uh, it is our Veterans Day episode. Uh, which means we're going to be looking at a sci-fi thriller of... Wait, no, that, I, that's wrong. Let me, let me go back. Uh, <laughs> no, it is our Veterans Day episode, so we are looking at a war movie today. Brian, what are we watching? We are watching Apocalypse Now, which is pretty much Frank Francis Ford Coppola's uh, opus and uh, one of the most graphic and also trippy Vietnam War movies you could possibly have. I would totally agree. Uh, graphic. The the trippiness actually kind of comes back when you're talking about the movie. Uh, as me and Jake were just finding out, is that sometimes it's it's in the discussion of this movie that you kind of feel these emotions again, or or, or get back into what it is that uh, Coppola wanted us to feel. But before we get into that, let's just ask uh, a couple quick questions. Jake, what was the last movie that you watched? Uh, last movie I saw also was Dune. Definitely enjoyed it. Uh, did you just enjoy it once, or did you enjoy it? I've only uh, seen it the one time. <laughs> I don't have HBO Max, and I can't be going to the movie theater four times in a week. But it, it was definitely a good movie. A little disappointed with where they ended. Uh, I'll say that. I'm not going to say anything else, because we're not doing a podcast about that movie. We're doing a podcast about Apocalypse Now or Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse now? Now. <laughs> well, ap Apocalypse Later, because we're not done with our intro questions. Uh, Brian, I know you saw Dune. I think we've got planned. We're going to do uh, a side podcast, the Twin Peaks rewatch, a retro movie rewatch of Twin Peaks. Like, I, if we wanted to do a side project on, like, one TV show, uh, that, that would definitely get first dibs. We could do one a year. We could start with Twin Peaks, and I'd love to do Generation Kill as well. Ooh. 
What is Generation Kill? Oh, Generation's Kill. Generation Kill's great. Uh, Generation Kill was an HBO um, dramatized retelling of a Rolling Stone writer's book who uh, was embedded with Marine Force Recon uh, in Iraq. And it is one of the most, like this movie, is one of the most fun and disturbing things I've ever seen uh, uh, in dealing with warfare. Of course, it's that time to talk about fun and disturbing things in dealing with warfare because it's our Veterans Day episode. Um, mine mine uh, was The Jerk. I decided to rewatch The Jerk. With, uh, Steve Martin? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, well, it's Veterans Day, of course. So uh-huh. No, no <laughs> I, I just uh, I was looking at the list of 1979 movies, and The Jerk was, uh, was a 79 movie, and uh, it's one that... Um, you know, it's hard to say if, if comedies can hold up quite the same way as other movies, but it's just uh, a great rewatch for me. And as uh, all of our listeners know, um, I uh, essentially refuse to watch anything new. All the movies I watch are at least 10 years or older. Uh, I got another question for you, Jake. Let's hear it. What do you prefer in a war movie? The story of a smaller unit, let's just say five people or less, or a larger group, say 10 to 20? Okay, so my favorite war media ever is probably Band of Brothers. So, I mean, yes, that for me is like the perfect war movie, TV show. I call it visual television art. I don't know what to call it, but that for me is my favorite. So I can't tell you the specifics, but whatever makes Band of Brothers Band of Brothers is what I like. That'll be season three of our TV show rewatch because, Fry, I think you love Band of Brothers, too. It's fantastic. I tell people all the time that I got the first season of Band of Brothers on DVD when it first came out. And I think it was like a hundred bucks. If I could actually extrapolate the dollar amount for how many times I have watched it, <laughs> not just that DVD, I eventually bought it on Blu-ray. I still watch it on HBO when I'm too lazy to find my Blu-ray. So I, I think that it would probably be se- worth several thousand dollars to me just based on how much I've watched it. Mm-hmm. This is an important TV show. It was something that, like, I had college roommates that that you know watched every every episode of it. It's Easy Company of I think the 101st or the 82nd Airborne. First episode is them in training, and it, then it, the other nine are them in their their story as they go to you know the Western Front in Europe and how they get how they get there, what happens. It's, it's yeah. It, and I it's it's the, also probably Donnie Wahlberg's best role ever. Like he actually has a very compelling role in this. And then uh, I I've actually found myself getting excited and enjoying other movies based on oh that guy's in Band of Brothers I like him. Yes yes. What is his name? Damien Lewis. Damien. He's he's actually British or he's he's not from the U.S. But he plays he Captain plays Winters, he plays for the Portland Lieutenant Trailblazers. His name is Damian uh, Lillard. Damian Lillard. Yeah, yeah. Or am I thinking of Matthew Lillard from of course our Scream franchise? So yeah, it sounds like we we like our groups. I think I'm I gotta fall into the group of I like I like a a unit of of like a squad of of many different characters. I, I found when I first was thinking about this question, I was thinking that. I think when when I was introduced to like war movies or combat movies, I, I I normally would think of actually like one single commando or like you know one like supreme like Rambo, like Rambo or or, or uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I would I would think of someone uh, or I'm actually thinking of Universal Soldier right now. 
Um, and then I realized that that's far less compelling than having a group of people uh, working together. And we do have a group of people in our movie tonight, uh, which is you know, Apocalypse Now, uh, starring Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Dennis Hopper, Frederick Forrest, Sam Bottoms, Albert Hall, and a young Larry Fishburne. Uh, I will say I I didn't even recognize him at first. It took it took a while for me to say, oh my, oh man, that I couldn't believe that was him as clean yeah that's yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird add-in i mean it's weird now to have an add-in at the time i'm right it, it, like, it uh, johnny weird depp now. well harrison Ford yeah, much like johnny depp in platoon yeah yeah oh true. so you blink and you miss him sometimes yeah so, um, yeah he, he's a radio op in platoon and you're like wait a minute yeah to go back to go back and think of it and see what what they have become uh, released in 1979, the budget for this movie was $31 million and um, grossed around $80 million. Uh, its place in the box office that year was number six. Uh, the movie that placed ahead of it was Alien. Uh, and the movie that placed behind it was a movie I'd never heard of before, a romantic comedy called Ten. Uh, but it actually, I, I was looking at the rest of the list and I was seeing that uh, it actually placed above The Jerk which is the reason I rewatched The Jerk, as if I needed a reason to. Um, and then uh, one spot higher than Moonraker, uh, which I think is... I think the only reason I really like Moonraker is because Jaws is in it. Uh, I mean, you know, we did our whole uh, Bond piece on this, but uh, I, I've got, I, I like it all. It, it's all dangerous. <laughs> uh, the number one movie that year was Superman, and, also uh, with Marlon Brando as Lex Luthor, I'm pretty sure. And uh, IMDb rating of 8.4. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, we almost couldn't ask for any higher. 98% fresh from our critics and uh, 94% score from the audience. Uh, won a whole lot of awards. Uh, 21 winners and uh, nominated for 33 more. Uh, the big ones, uh, the Oscars won... Uh, Best Cinematography, uh, Vittorio Strararo, and Best Sound from the Law Office of Merch, Burger, Beggs, and Boxer. There were uh, a couple other awards uh, <laughs> as far as BAFTA and Golden Globe. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola won uh, Best Direction, both of those awards. And Robert Duvall took home a BAFTA and a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Bill Kilgore, uh, which, I mean, unforgettable character in this movie. Um, but let's like, get into like our first time seeing it. Uh, Jake, had you seen this movie before? I have not. I don't live under a rock, so I've seen plenty of... I know the quote, it smells like napalm in the morning. You know, I've seen scenes. I know the flight of the Valkyrie scene. Stuff like that. But I, I've never sat down and watched the movie and just taken it in and experienced a story like this. It kind I, of I wanted to tell like, you guys a quick story. Um, so I was mentioning earlier that I probably saw this movie too young to really get the full import of it but uh one of my favorite scenes in a movie that i didn't see too young was hot shots part two where you have charlie sheen sitting on another patrol boat reading through a dossier and his dad charlie his monologue starts overriding what he's reading and it's the i can't believe they wanted this man dead and <laughs> You see another patrol boat coming. They pass each other. Charlie stands up. Martin stands up. They point at each other and say, I loved you in Wall Street, and just <laughs> keeps going. It was such a deep cut. 
I, I mean, I guess if you're a film buff, it's not, it's not, but it was just one of those things that when I got it, I was like, that was masterful to add that in there. When was the first time you had seen it, Brian? Um, I was watching it or I, I had been, uh, talked into watching it. I was with a, a buddy of mine and, uh, my stepdad and I had been, off of a run of really, really brutal apocalyptic movies, and I was kind of burnt out on it. And so when they suggested, let's watch Apocalypse Now, I was like, I can't do the world ending again. And they were like, oh, no, it's a Vietnam movie. And I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> good show. Let's toss it on, which is weird because you talk to Russ or Chad, and you know, they're like, man, I get really burnt on war movies because they're so like deep and sad and whatever. I watch stuff like this for entertainment and i don't I mean, i'm not trying to make light of horrible thing but i'm just saying i get into this sort of thing this is a happy or this is a film happy place for me how about you guys that that makes sense is that uh the the things like the experience of watching this movie is is greater than uh, the the content of the movie the, the the when if you're talking about Russ and Chad if you're talking about anybody saying like rewatching a war movie there's obviously things that don't make you happy uh, watching anybody suffering or watching somebody watching somebody uh, lose a friend or a brother like like that's that's not in particular like uplifting but uh, the storytelling of of uh, a war movie or even just uh, as Jake and I were talking before the record. Um, if if we can even consider this a war movie, it's a movie that happens during a war. Um, but we were kind of discussing that it was a, a journey movie. I, I definitely feel like with, with a lot of the um, action pieces that I watch that are, you know, whether it's your Black Hawk Down, We Were Soldiers, Thin Red Line, Band of Brothers, we talked about uh, Saving Private Ryan, whatever. It, it's a camaraderie. It's a brotherhood. It's a fellowship piece that comes with these movies that I enjoy. So it's not the war. It's not the, the hard times. It's not the losing someone that, that you crave, but it's that, it's that fellowship piece that, that makes these like, movies so compelling. I feel like this movie's actually kind of absent the fellowship and that's on purpose, right? There's all these scenes where, you know, one person's going off and doing their own thing there's that fight at night where he goes through the bunker and there's guys just sitting there while other people are fighting this, this movie. And it makes sense for a Vietnam era movie where people are getting drafted and it, it doesn't feel like a normal war movie. Like we're in this together. It, you know, Willard's keeping secrets. They've all got their own designs. They're undisciplined. You know, it's just, it feels to me, it feels more like an individual tale of one man's journey back into hell than it does like a war movie. It The, the setting's definitely the Vietnam War and everything that comes with that, but it, it focuses on Captain Willard's mission less so than, you know, the patrol boat as a group together. And with, with expectations, we didn't, I didn't know. With the title Apocalypse Now and kind of a wild movie poster... Um, I, I had never seen this before two weeks ago. Uh, this was my first time viewing it. And so, like, I, I was thrilled to have the depth of all the details that Jake had just described uh, to see this as, um, because I didn't have an expectation of, is this going to be an explosion 
um, two fronts fighting each other, up close battles, uh, tactics being visible from over, you know, from an overhead shot. It's not about the battles here. It's it's about this the the journey, the the individuals that you meet, and uh, so like my expectations there as far as like what a mo- war movie would be, I was lucky to not have these particular expectations and be like and just kind of be able to let the movie do what it wanted to do. Yeah, you don't even see the enemy. You don't even see the Viet Cong throughout the movie. Not really. I mean, I don't, I don't think you ever do. You, you you see some. You see. I know you see somebody throwing a spear, but yeah. is that even you know VC there? I think that was specifically. They say when they go and meet up with uh, Colonel Kurtz, it's like you you know those were your people. I I think the the real gem about Apocalypse Now is that it's not a traditional war movie. Um, I'm not sure if I would watch this uh, under the guise of saying let's watch you know, saving private Ryan. And then we're going to watch, you know, something else. And then this, it it doesn't fall into that. This is more of, it's actually fairly true to its source material. This is supposed to be a mind bender. This is supposed to twist perceptions of reality, perceptions of warfare. This is, this is LSD trip that causes you to light a flare on your boat as it sails down the river. Mm. Um, it is not a it's not a traditional war movie in any way. This is more of a psychological thriller that you do not know the depths of de- the, of depravity of the human mind and what it's willing to do to cope. And, and war movies typically have the heroic, courageous lead. You know, you were talking about the gunfights and stuff like that. Every all of the the characters on the boat come off as undisciplined or kind of buffoonish or soulless monsters there's no hero to the story does do you feel like there was a hero a protagonist i mean you you watch captain willard's like journey but like i don't know if you're i'm ever rooting for him i'm just kind of watching to see what is what's going to happen next and like experience it with him we do know he's the lead sure and we do know that he has a goal that he can accomplish mm-hmm. right but that was even something that i didn't go in the movies with the expectation with like uh am i going to root for uh what his overall goal mm-hmm. would be um considering brian's point about it being a psychological uh type of movie like a mind bending type yeah. of experience yep. uh this is a movie where it, yeah i i agree with with brian here that if i wanted to sit down and watch a war movie i'd put on saving private ryan I wanted to have something on that I could like sit down and like really dive into a very cool cinematic moment of somebody maybe getting like like getting getting so afraid of walking looking for mangoes and then finding a tiger and like I, I have to see this scene because it's you're showing all this emotion it's a it's a different style war movie and I find that that particular type of um filmmaking is what gives me the the answer that like yes this definitely holds up it doesn't matter that it was gosh 32 years ago this movie holds up for me for sure yeah i think this is more one of those movies that i i feel like the introduction of it really uh makes sense where he's you know drinking in a hotel room and doing some sort of messed up tai chi and whatever i mean that sets up what this is for you this is going to be we're going to sit you alone in a room with some alcohol and you are going to have to mentally digest the rigors of the Vietnam war while watching frankly insanity from start to finish. <laughs> um, and then at the end of it, you can make with it what you will. 
insanity now. And, and and what we'll what we'll do is if you want to get uh, if you want to sit alone in a room with a bottle of alcohol and watch this movie, be, it's probably a good time to do so because we're going to take a short advertisement break, and then when we come back, Brian is going to spoil the movie with a plot summary of what happens. Uh, so get your favorite libation, practice whatever martial arts you'd like to, be careful of the mirrors, don't cut yourself, uh, and uh, when you come back, we are going to discuss Apocalypse Now even further. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals. Like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. And we are back. I got myself a refresher coffee. So I'm going to sit back and listen to Brian uh, spoil the movie with his plot discussion. Take it away, Brian. Saigon. I'm still only in Saigon. This movie starts off with U.S. Army Captain Willard Martin Sheen of the 500 Battalion, 173rd Airborne. He's uh, he's a bit of a smooth operator, uh, but also dealing with uh, past missions and the PTSD of being in the Vietnam War. Uh, he gets exactly what he wishes for, though, with a mission to go assassinate another U.S. Army veteran who has uh, taken up shop up the Nung River in Cambodia and basically set up a fiefdom. He's put on this mission by a CIA stooge, a general, and Harrison Ford. Uh, he's put together with a ragtag group on a patrol boat who are issued orders to go find a, an armored cav unit uh, who would then drop them into the mouth of this river and go upstream. At this point, you meet a host of characters, such as Robert Duvall and his high-flying cavalry officer and surf lover, uh, as they destroy a village just so they could surf the two parting waves uh, system that they've got going. Uh, on up the river into some fairly heart-wrenching situations uh, dealing with indigenous people, with uh, drug use, with um, a certain USO show that goes awry, all the way up to the last U.S. outpost full of the fleeing soldiers, the fighting soldiers, and uh, a heck of a fireworks show. Uh, they then proceed to meet a French family up the river and then to the wayward officer's compound where he meets another host of this man's characters uh, to learn about the psychosis that the man's been in, to learn about his own psychosis, and to eventually complete his mission. And complete his mission he does. Uh, the mission is uh, you, you describe that uh, he's smooth operator. He, he knows what he can do, and he's good at it. 
the if you were to describe this movie as a war movie, and then within the first, I guess, twenty minutes, you learn that this mission is an assassination. Was this like a surprise for you upon your first viewing? Yeah, um, I mean, he's he's being sent to assassinate a colonel. That's very unusual. It, it does create this awesome mystery around this colonel. Um, it's like why. Why would they send their own people to kill their own people? You know, um, it's definitely not the standard mission. It's not go take that hill. It's not go destroy that bunker or bridge. And I think they even talked about it in the movie. Chef brings it up when Captain Willard finally tells him what they're going to do after Chief dies. That he's he's he says it. This this is all you know effed up, man. This is this is jacked up. Right. You know. He says the same thing. I thought we were going to blow up a bridge. I thought we were going to do this. So it's it's a unique and weird mission to have. But then, you know, maybe that's who Captain Willard is. Maybe he is an assassin. He's clearly done it before. They bring it up. Uh, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I want Martin Sheen out of the boat. I want to see, like... This is his This is his game. This is, you know, he's he's the Doc Holliday. Like, this is... Yeah, you know, he wants to play for blood, and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, I want to see him play for blood. It's it's patience for the audience, and patience uh, sort of portrayed by Willard, by Captain Willard, that um, and all this time that he's waiting, uh, whether he is uh, spending time among among uh, Bill Kilgore's uh, group, would you say Airvac? Uh, spending time among that particular force and then the actual boat trip up the Nung River that uh, he's being contemplative. He's waiting for when it's time for him to use his skills. You don't see our lead uh, get into firefights or jump down into a hill, uh, into a bunker with a forty-five. Um, the The movie seems to be, for at least the, the majority of, we'll say, the, the second act, about the threat of danger at all times right brian like 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 we we have some combat uh but the combat we start with i mean, like i think i think the first com- like with the the um wagner's uh, ride of the valkyries where the the choppers fly in um is a massacre more so than a firefight mm-hmm. and so you're you're not seeing acts of heroism here no, I you're you're seeing a lot of the the green nature of so many draftees, especially on that the PT boat, you know, as they're going up uh, up river. Um, all of the instances where they are thrust into some sort of strife or confidence, you see them fold. So it's one of those things that you're never going to see Martin Sheen in some real engagement like. You're, this 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 guy's the guy that slips past enemy lines to kill a general. So, um, I, like most of the journey in this is is very not Action. Martin Sheen yeah. being an expend like it's not an expendables thing where you see him just going nuts killing hundreds of guys. No, he's a scalpel being used to cut yeah. out a cancer for the U.S. Army, and he's basically. He's lit a fuse with. I'm gonna say as soon as he stole the surfboard, he lit like a Mission Impossible fuse, and him going up that river is just the thing burning until he actually gets to kill his target. That's a good analogy. 
it's the the it's the bombs have a fuse to uh, like in in any movie situation the bombs have a fuse because we know that we're waiting for the payoff or the payload and uh you know we will we won't jump immediately towards the the final act of the movie but uh the I know you said the word, and I said the word before the record, is that this is, to me, a journey movie. Um, and Jake, you actually said this is like a, a quest movie. Yeah. It, feel, it almost feels closer to, like, Frodo's journey to Mount Doom than it does a Vietnam movie, right? <laughs> yeah. It feels like you're watching this. Oh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Just to get to Mount Doom to, you know... Have Golem bite his finger off. Spoilers, sorry. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, it's weird because I had fifteen minutes left. Damn it! <laughs> the movie doesn't have the action you're expecting in a war movie. We're kind of I'm kind of reiterating this, but it's the way they convey Captain Willard as a badass, as like the kind of hero or whatever, if you can call him that, is that is how he reacts to situations. You know, he is stone cold the entire time. When other people are freaking out, he has a direction and purpose. He's almost exasperated by the terrible things that happen rather than distressed by them. So as far as, you know, the action, you're not going to get that with this movie. But it is cool to see that character in that situation and on his journey. And it feels like, yeah, it feels like he's going back to hell. That first scene in the movie... When he's doing karate and his whitey tidies, you're like, what the hell is wrong with this guy, right? The whole movie is explaining why Captain Willard is the way he is because he's on his second mission to assassinate somebody now. He's still back and, you know, he's upset he's still in Saigon. He wants to get out there and do his thing. And it's just without it, he, that's just all he knows. Because there's two ways to react to the horror of war. You either embrace it or you cower from it and try your best to survive. And there's only a few characters that embrace it, and that's Colonel Kurtz, Kilgore, Kilgore, and Captain Willard. There's a uh, there, there's a line from another war series that I always liked. It's by this guy that they're constantly calling a psycho, and he says, uh, "I don't know. Back at the you know car dealership back home, I I get I get more nervous buying a car than I get when." You know, bullets are flying at me. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? It, it, Jake's point as to like the the scenario turns you into something else. I think we're shown early that whatever life that Captain Willard had before shipping out, before becoming this, I love what you said, like scalpel before becoming this is over i think he he was mentioning like like the 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 only letter he read was uh the one that he opened to sign the divorce papers like there's nothing left for him back in america um and i like using the word back captain willard has become this tool um and uh we get to like we have to wait and as the audience we have to be patient to see him be used or to see him become like or you know embody what he has become um i'd say for the the majority of the movie he does handle things calmly uh an unsettling calmness uh because uh to to use the 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 prior phrase that like the the fuse has been lit we know what's eventually going to happen Uh, but that is offset with his uh 
we'll call it admiration of who Kurtz is. How, how is that um, relationship between uh, Captain Willard and Kurtz uh, that exists throughout the whole movie sort of frame this journey tale? I think that you can tell Willard from the beginning uh, admires the guy. I think that to do the job that Willard does, it takes, you know, your higher IQ soldier. Now, and I understand he's a captain, but I mean, they're obviously using him for some some super sketchy stuff. So I, I think the best movie analogy I can give this is Skyfall. This is... Um, Bond versus Javier Bardem's character. You have the guy who broke versus the guy yeah, that will break. Um, so it's uh, it's it's one of those that that movie reference is really more used to do like this is the this is the guy that's tried and true versus the guy that broke under the pressure, and uh, in, you know obviously situations having been reversed. I think the reason Willard understands him so well is knowing that under a different circumstance, he could have been this man. So it's not simply a, you know, this is the bad guy. This is a, this could have been me under this man's circumstances, but I still have a job to do. The, the, even the phrase, the bad guy, he's the mark. Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing he did, Jake? Is the worst thing he did stop following orders yeah so he goes rogue he's essentially doing the exact same thing i mean what it is is his commitment to absolute violence and horror that he's just realized that war is hell let me embrace it to the fullest extent i possibly can that is the only logical conclusion is to throw away your humanity and just become the violence like He's almost like a raw human without all the trimmings of society on him. And that's, the I think, a big part of the movie is kind of the difference between these people and the Americans is, you know, the natives are eating cold rice and getting stronger. He talks about at the beginning of the film, Charlie's out there getting stronger. They have the USO show, and it's like all the Americans are, like, fanning over and kind of embarrass themselves when the playmates show up to, like, dance for two minutes. Well, it's the playmate of the year. Yeah, it's the playmate of the year. And it's kind of this idea of, yeah, y'all aren't, y'all aren't ready for this war if this is your mentality, which, of course, they're not going to be. They're drafted, you know? And so, and you were talking about the relationship between Colonel Wirtz and Captain Willard, and I think you nailed it on the head, Brian. Captain Willard is simply just stuck to the plan and hasn't totally given up yet or given in to it, but he has pushed down that humanity. He's just filled with purpose and he doesn't care what he has to do to get it. I don't know. Both of you mentioned humanity, and I was thinking about like uh, the, the the process or the organization and following orders and, and be, being told to do something. But uh, but you mentioned humanity, and it made me think that uh, as, our our growth towards civilization and organizations, and then fighting as civilizations amongst each other, uh, would it's almost as if like Kurtz has found a more base humanity, but I think to him, 
a, a more perfect humanity, mm-hmm. uh, one without some, one without the social contract that's been agreed upon by Western civilization, but one that's just sort of like we we are existing here. Uh, we our, our power comes from our might, and um, it does seem strange that, that like these people are willing to follow. They're not being told to follow. It was it's through his poetic nature that he leads. Uh, we we learn about his inspirational just self from, I think, unnamed photojournalist played by Dennis Hopper. He can't stop fawning over the man. Mm-hmm. Um, is this an ultimate goal of Coppola here? Is to is to make this at least, if not the main theme, but an overarching theme that uh, getting away from these structures that the war is being fought either over or uh, at least as military organizations like a part of it like this is a like a noble goal for kurtz i i would almost say that if you wanted to go with deeper meaning piece for a plot i don't think a general would have actually done this but in, in vietnam but for a deeper meaning of the plot is understanding on that side of the ocean that the war was not going well, that I could see a general going out on a limb and actually saying, we need to end this guy. So when we do leave, we're not leaving this loose end to cause trouble, PR trouble for us later. Absolutely. Um, That's honestly, that's the only real reason I can see them sending Martin Sheen on this mission. And it's Colonel, Colonel Kurtz was almost the golden goose for them. Right. You hear this backstory about Kurtz that he's this absolute badass. He's going he's on a fast track to become a general and, you know, eventually a politician or, you know, have some extreme sense of like power or duty. But then he goes and enlists in the special forces because this is so this is this is one of my few veteran takes I'll have for this. There is a certain amount of when you join, you expect to do something. And for many people who join you do not get to fulfill those expectations and it leaves you with a sense of, you know, feeling unfulfilled. Jarhead does a really good job of kind of explaining. Jarhead. Yeah. I, I, dude, I was, I was like Jarhead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I was like the first. You get told your whole life and you watch all the war movies and you see the heroes and you see the courage, right? And that's what you want to do and become. But the reality of the situation is Kurtz has to go off the deep end and kind of do things on his own if he wants to become that person that like fulfills the mission of defeating the Vietnamese. So he just goes AWOL and is essentially it sounds like his whole little crew, or big crew rather, is kind of filled with badasses where like the Vietnamese don't even go there, the Viet Cong don't go there. And he's waging his own little personal war but then it kind of falls apart because he gets what uh, malaria. You know, when they talked about him switching to the special forces, that's what clicked in my mind. It's like, oh, this is a man who is seeking war, who wants to know. There's something very human about war. It's in our nature, right? It's a big part of what humanity is, and it's like he, for whatever reason, is just that warrior type mentality class of person that every now and then comes up in people. And he's done everything he can to become that. Unfortunately, that means Absolutely. throwing away all of his humanity 
and idealizing and romanticizing absolutely brutal, you know, practices. He talks about them inoculating the children. They go and inoculate the children for polio, and then they come back and they find that the village elders have chopped off all the children's arms. And he says, it's beautiful. It's genius. These people are willing to go so much further than we are. And that's why they're going to win is because regardless of how much, mm. you know, uh, ride of the Valkyries, you've got planned while you swoop in on Huey's and blow up a village. If those people are willing to chop off their children's arms in spite of us or in spite of, I say us, but in spite of the United States or the people in their country, they're always going to win. Like it's, but that's, I mean, that's the truth of it. I mean, it, anytime you are an aggressing force in another country and people truly believe that you shouldn't be there, like that's, it's going to be a, depending on how far they're willing to go, a hats off to them. And that's not, you know, well, people will go very me knocking anything. It's just, home, you know what I'm saying? Like they'll go to the ends of, they oh yeah, hundred percent. And we have this this group led by Kurtz <clears throat> that's out there, and we get to them eventually. Um, but to the, the the beginning of the journey, uh, we do meet uh, a group of uh, a particular. Uh, you, you guys can can help me with this, but you meet uh, Kilgore and his men, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, people living a very different reality mm-hmm. and experiencing a very different war. And this particular like time spent with these guys you have sort of like a a beach party where kilgore's got a guitar in his hand and they're cooking up steaks um he can't stop uh talking about surfing uh i i feel as if um it was important to coppola to have this i'm not going to go so far as wacky but certainly outlandish uh character trait of kilgore um to, to to like these this guy's having fun in the sun and there are young people underneath him. There are, there are his, like, uh, you know, to, like, there are the people under his command that are even saying things along the lines of, well, that's Charlie's point. Like, the, we, we actually lost someone up there. That's, that's going to be hot. It's really hairy. How many times do they say that? It's, yeah, it's really hairy. Yeah, but there's six-foot peaks. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's got, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, it's really not comical. Like it's not it's not humorous. Maybe it maybe it's farcical in a way. But the the idea that um that we spend up until the fifty minute mark uh, before they actually start their boat ride. Anything you want to bring up about uh, Kilgore, Robert Duvall's character, or just the idea of like these are young men fighting a different war than what Captain Willard has already been yeah, a part it's of. A, it's a very different perspective to the war. People are experiencing it in different ways. If you're on that boat, if you're on the PT boat every day, that war is different from you than the guy in the helicopter. Stay in the boat. Never get out of the boat. The guys who are in the bunkers on the front lines getting blown up, even there you see three different sets of like kind of mentalities about the war. You see the people running in fear. You see the guys sitting in the bunker stone cold. And then you got the guys on the 50 with the, the roach, they call it, you know, taking it to the enemy. And then you got Robert Duvall's character who's just, he looks, it, uh, Willard says it in the movie, he seems like he's going to get out without a scratch. And he's got that kind of, um, maybe not arrogance, but he's got that aura about him that it, you just know he's going to be okay. And also for the people involved, right? 
for the, the locals and the natives and the French people, right? You get to that house and their experience mm-hmm. of the war is, is different as well. There's a varying experience that happened in Vietnam. Uh, one of the overwhelming pieces was, you know, there's a horror of war, but we were also, you know, flaunting a certain amount of wealth and overindulgence while we were there. And that's, I, I feel like all of that was meant to be communicated through these pieces of, or, or segments of the riverway. And speaking of the river, I think this is where the movie became the movie. The movie became the movie. The the thing that uh, I would, if I wanted to rewatch this movie, and I'm, I'm not saying I don't, but if if I had the the feeling that I, I'm 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 really looking to uh, mess my brain up today, and what would help with that would be the psychoses of war time, uh, and and I wanted to watch a part of this movie, it would I would start it at the at the fifty minute mark, as like I I would get to the point where where things start to get we'll say creepy in a way things get to feel more dangerous you no longer have the full support of cavalry behind you you're on the boat and you're alone there's just the five of them right we got uh we got chief we got chef we got lance we got willard and larry fishburn yeah Uh, we got we got clean mr clean um clean yeah yeah who can really dance (laughs) Uh, i i'd actually I, i i would Suggest a different exercise too. That if you're going to take the middle of the movie, do the same thing except just watch the first 35 minutes and the last 35 minutes. It shows something much different. The journey itself, you know, it shows you know what how he gets to where he's going. But if you just look at Martin Sheen's head and then you look at Marlon Brando's head, they seem similar. That's where I'm going with yeah, they it. they seem similar. When they get off the boat, Chef's going to go look for some mangoes. He smells a mango tree or something like that. Um, never get off the boat. Never get off the boat. Uh, yeah, that's, that is, um, <laughs> I think that we have a big tonal shift, uh, which is welcome to me. Uh, and it's not just, um, I feel like we had some really like cool, incredible scenes and and some like ways of telling those stories. I don't. I can't recall a time that there was a POV shot in a movie that I that I really remember and like, and thought it was cool that they chose to do POV. Um, but that that's very early when when we see from from Willard's point of view as he's taking his orders from Harrison Ford and the other colonel um, and eating the roast beef. Uh, we have some really cool like visual shots. We have some um, as far as just like movie making. Uh, the tone really changes as we get into the river. Um, the constant threat of of there being danger on both sides of you, or I'm, I guess completely surrounding you as they're going down the boat or down down the river. We, we we know that they've been up and down the river before, don't we? Like we we know that this is this is kind of not that deep. Not that they deep. Know, so that's what they keep talking about is. They're actually going into Cambodia. So this is an illegal, this is already like a war crime situation, right? It has to be like top secret. To go this deep into the the jungle, I mean, that last, that destroyed base that they run into, that is the end of the line as far as where the Americans or the allies or their sphere of influence, that's where it ends. And that line is already crumbling. So you're just, they're out past it now. 
and, and if you look at it, it just historically, like there is no safe space in Vietnam. Like we had fire bases, we had larger bases, we had areas where we controlled, but there wasn't like a line in the sand where you can say everything south of this is us. Uh, that's why they got fired upon when, you know, uh, the flare went off and it, it's not something that there, there really isn't a whole lot of safe space. Um, just to go on a slight tangent here. Uh, I recently, no, read a not book you, the longest beer. <laughs> I know, right. I recent re- recently read a book called longest beer run ever. And, uh, it's about a guy who literally, uh, merchant Marine, an ex-Marine who took off from New York to bring a beer to several of his uh, buddies who had been drafted or whenever in Vietnam. And they really kind of go into the Tet Offensive heavily. And it talks about, you know, there really isn't anywhere in the country that was safe. You can't. So uh-huh. you can have North and South Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, you know, where that battle line is. You don't know where the enemy is going to be, and it, it just there's there's no sanctuary, there's no like sacred space where you're like, yeah, we control this. There are roads where you're like, oh yeah, it's our country, except at night. Yeah, and that's that's the nature of jungle, right? You're not in the desert where you can just go and look out over the land and see people coming. Essentially, the fog of war is everywhere. You're right. Roads and clearings are the only things that you can reasonably know that you control because you can look at them. The tree line represents danger, you know, because if you're, if you're the Vietnamese, you just go hide in the jungle until things clear up and then you come back out. And you just try and catch patrols as they come through the jungle and have your own little ambushes and whatnot. Yet Vietnam does a good job of displaying like guerrilla warfare and small unit tactics are kind of key to the future of any kind of actual battle or war. And I feel like the the sense of dread was uh higher. I mean yeah the the night scenes were incredibly shot. Mm-hmm. Um and you can you can see whether or not it's like in in that bunker uh or when when the guy is uh almost by by hearing alone able to detect where that fire mm-hmm is coming from with his grenade launcher just hearing the the footsteps or something the, that outpost or like that line uh i i and of course we've got lance with the puppy in his in his exactly, jacket yeah. as they're going to meet these people that is where i think the last bit of communication that willard picks up is from the 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 one guy that was sent from with mail yeah and with the mail for the rest of the boat like the, those those scenes, like when there's a a firefight going on, you, I mean, you see you see a couple times, uh, you know, you'll hear incoming and someone will duck, or you know, you, you'll see what you expect soldiers to do when there's like clear lines drawn, like like during those scenes. But I think that the there's almost more of a danger in the water time, like when they're going on the boat. Then even the end of the movie where they are finding like the the people tied up and the the tortured and like in <clears throat> Kurtz's compound, um, that's that's something that like that's a feeling that that I felt like was portrayed really well, and that's just sort of the the atmosphere of this movie is is you you go from 
the good old boys that are surfing and having a great time. You go into uncertainty. And then you get some great interpersonal conflict between Chief and Willard about, like, I'm, am I really going to go this far? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it's on the water that we get to one of the scenes I I, I, I really like as far as um, seeing the individual characters react to, which is the routine stop of the of the sampan, right? Um, I'll say my, my takeaway from that scene uh, – do we think that Chief was trying to find a reason to Nothing, turn around? Yeah. He was looking for. I think, I think he was using this kind of protocol as an excuse to be like, "Listen, we got to take them back. We got prisoners because they're scared. They're scared to go further into the up the river, further into enemy territory. In fact, they're scared of like the fear itself." Chef at one point says, "Why won't they just attack?" Yeah, he almost just wants it to happen because he's so. Uh, paralyzed in fear. He has to sit on the gun constantly. At least when he's fighting for his life, he's doing something where, and if he dies, he dies. But it's this mounting fear just surrounded all the time that cripples him. And then, you know, they have these bursts, especially in that scene where the fear lashes out and does something terrible. The waiting is the worst. I think that's why I I dig the the sort of the the second act or the 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 journey act of this as much as I do is because it's it's waiting for that fuse to get to where it needs to go. And the the, the music and the lighting for all of this it's so claustrophobic, it's so creepy. Everything's either dark or foggy most of the time. And you notice that the river gets smaller and smaller, less and less wide the further up the river they go. It becomes kind of this uncomfortable tension as the walls closing around you. They did a really good job making that, having that feeling displayed through, you know, audio, visual cues or sound, music and or light that I really liked. It's wonderfully claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, uh, the sense of fear, the sense of, um, at any time there's danger can happen in a whole lot of different ways. Uh, I, when when I think of the the war movie I've seen the most, it would be um, Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. um, and we've got a situation where there's there's only one shooter, mm-hmm. like the last forty minutes of the movie. There's only one shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a much different kind of fear than this claustrophobic fear, and we still haven't gotten to when the fuse hits the bomb, when Willard gets to his mission, and Willard at that time only has. Uh, chef with him, chef and Lance with him. So, so that's actually really my favorite part of the movie. Um, when he actually reaches his destination, because he's at the whim and control of his target. It's that understanding. It's that like, or, or predator meets predator. Yeah. That that allows him to complete his mission because. At that point, he can recognize if you could go through all of this, if you can find me, if you can hear everything I have to say, and I've said it, that's in your head now. I've passed that along. I'm ready to die. That That's almost m- more of a mind worm than anything else. Like, as long as I know I've put this in your head. Yeah, it's a, that's it's, all I yeah, mind worm. I, I kind of think of like the mind virus of like an idea or, or something like that. Do you think Colonel Kurtz wanted Captain Wheeler to kill him and that's why he kept him alive? And that's why the I think that's why the, the photojournalist is constantly like, oh, he likes you. He's got plans for you. 
Do you think it was Colonel Kurtz's plan to be killed by Captain Willard? I don't think it was his plan to be killed by him. I think he would have taken it or have left it at the time. But I think he knew that was an easy possibility. And I think he also knew that his just smelling the scent of his own knew that as long as his perspective had been relayed, Mm -hmm. his job had been done. Does it matter at all the seeming desire for this lesson, we'll say, this lesson about humanity to be passed on to Kurtz's son? I found that I found that particular aspect of it to be maybe a little confusing. Uh, honestly, I, the the I'll call the movie's in thirds for me. It's the 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 first third, then there's the journey, then there's the destination, and the destination probably is the most confusing. I have so many questions about the last third of the movie. Why are those people following him? What's his actual goal? Why does he let Captain Willard? Uh, Live. And what did you just ask? About passing passing the information Me? to his son, caring yeah, so much. Why does he suddenly, he's abandoned, it seems like he's abandoned all of his humanity, but then he hates lies and he wants his son to know that what, he's a war criminal? Or that he's enlightened beyond the things that yeah. he had been trained upon? What's or your take? Or is he just crazy? So... The way I look at this, and this is this is going to sound super convoluted, but so is this movie. Yeah. So right, it's, it's fitting. It's one of those things that every man, woman, any human being is a combination of their experiences. We mm-hmm. want to pass on what we've learned in some real, regal, beneficial way where we can copy and paste it like, don't do any of this. Mm-hmm. And it's just not possible. So what we try to do is teach and impart as best we can, but without the actual physical experiences that we actually go through, it's just words. It's just another thing that you, you learn from, you know, verbal reading, whatever. So, so you know, what I really, exactly and but but that doesn't mean that my daughter doesn't look at my coffee cup look at me and go she knows it's hot but the next thing she does is touch that coffee cup Mm. because you have to learn it for yourself Mm -hmm. so i think the really the, the damnation of this movie is willard knows he wants more people to know and he knows the futility that Trying to say it won't really mean enough. Does Captain Willard end up taking this lesson or taking his time among the the tribe or the compound? The tribe, I think, is the perfect. The tribe. Does he take this and and change it all? Does he go back after the mission is done? Found it so strange just how easily Lance comes with him. By the way, yeah. But but like, d- does anything actually change for him? I don't I don't know if we're given uh, any inclination that he's gonna abandon the life of being an assassin. This is what he's good at. Uh, all all the conflict we got was trying him trying to figure out the man, uh, the man Kurtz. Then he kills him. In I mean, awesome scene by the way. But 
the, then he leaves. And I, there's, there's, I don't know if there's enough of a voiceover to convince me that at least a lesson was learned or that something will be passed on or changed. It's just, we, even with all, I think maybe, the, maybe the what Coppola wants us to do is, even with all of these incredible stories that have just been told, those of our young Mister Clean who goes down, young, uh, you know, goes down at 18 years old, or our chef who's a saucier who gets freaked out. Um, and then I think it's it's his head that gets dropped into uh, Willard's lap. Like we, we, all of these cool stories in the way, and then in the end, the warlord is killed. And the assassin walks away. The tribe is left leaderless. I suppose mm-hmm. it, it it kind of ends with, and and all of that introspection and philosophy kind of doesn't matter. Yep, it, it it does leave you with a sense of futility at the end. That's what I meant, and futility. It's, and it's also just the way he just walks out, like none of this mattered. They don't care anymore. Like I said, the last third. And so a part of the longer version, when he's hanging out with the French people in Vietnam, they just, he, he's asked by this woman, are you going to go back to America? And he says no. So you're left with this question of like, what does happen to Captain Willard? Does he does he assume the role of Colonel Kurtz, right? Is he now the metaphorical son who takes over the tribe, you know, as he ascends with his face painted, much similar to the way Kurtz was? It, it almost feels like, oh, okay, you're now the guy. This makes sense. And then he walks away and you're left like, what? Oh, that... The- it would have been so. It would have been way too tidy if they had actually like had him assume some sort of mantle there. I, I think they they ended it beautifully with a question mark, um, because it leaves it to your own interpretation. And, and this is this is a probably cynical and nihilistic way of looking at this, which I think is kind of the angle they they were going <laughs> yeah. for anyway. But but it's one of those like, look, you could reach the pinnacle of understanding of human nature and still be so woefully disenfranchised by that understanding that you'd be willing to be like, okay, well, I'm going to lead a guerrilla tribe. I'm going to walk away. I'm, I'm going to be a Rambo drifter. You know, like they're... It's, this is not a new revelation that has happened that no matter how enlightened you've become based on your experiences and how you understand human nature, that it doesn't matter because the cycle, the system is still there, no matter which system it is. And in the end, you just have to play whatever game you choose to be playing. I don't think anybody expected this to be a happy ending for anyone. Because it certainly wasn't, and it was it was our experience of the movie that was uh, of, of the several different aspects of it. Uh, some of them less needed than others, um, or or depending on how much budget was spent on them. I mean, I bet filming the USO show was fun, but as far as what you take away from this movie, it's it's um, it maybe isn't as high on the rung of um, of some of the other themes. Uh, but speaking of the things that we take away from this movie, uh, when we all have our own interpretations, uh, we also all have our own movie superlatives. And it's time to get into those. We're going to start with the MVP of this film, Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now. 
now. Apocalypse now. Question mark. Jake. Excla- exclamation point. Who was your MVP? Whoever did the lighting for this movie. Lighting. Whoever <laughs> did the lighting, I think, is, is the biggest thing that drives like the themes and motifs of the movie. You kind of know what's going to happen based off like lighting. And they do a lot of like hopelessness and darkness, and then oh maybe there's a little bit of light. And I love what they did, especially in that night scene. It's very chaotic. Um, yeah, honestly, the the lighting for when you first meet Colonel uh, Kurtz and you don't even see him, right? And then when you do see him, it's like a fraction of his head. It's or his purposefully face. done. Yeah, it's, it's done by design to make him mysterious. You know, make him seem spookier i suppose um but it's done well i think with with lighting it makes me think of uh filter almost is that the 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 first third i like thinking of it in thirds uh, i think the the first third is is almost bright, bright orange bright bright orange and 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 open then we get to a, like a blue hue and a, and a dark green on the river um and then we get into a, a, a contrast. The third is like a, a difference of the bright, like with the painting of the of the uh, bodies and just the orange flame of the end. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that resonated with me as well. Uh, good choice with the the lighting. Uh, Fry, who's your MVP? I went with Martin Sheen because not because he's the main character and obviously he was in it the most, but I cannot tell you a different movie where something was so personally character driven as this like from beginning middle and end like you have a listless man getting drunk in a room you know talking about how you know this is the place he belongs into i'm a soldier i'm going to do my duty i'm going to show other people how to do my duty or how I do my duty and then into I'm still fulfilling this while assimilating Mm -hmm. this knowledge of what's going on. And then you could say that he's the consummate soldier 75% of this, you know, basically after he was a drunk guy in a hotel room, but to say that he wasn't affected from point a to point Z uh, would be a misnomer. I think it was one of the best man struggling with himself but knowing what he had to do character pieces i've ever seen i love that answer because it it reminds me of the reason why i chose martin sheen as willard as my mvp which is uh he it's not about his lines it's about uh and and luckily i I counted he smoked uh 67 cigarettes in this movie um and it's during (laughs) these these scenes and just when he's watching the other people around him uh you, you do get that moment where he he takes the uh what would you call the guy who was um, <clears throat> like he grabs by the collar and, and kind of shakes him at that depot? Um, oh, the supply guy. The supply guy. Like yeah. maybe that's the first like little amount of aggression you see from him, um, and it was almost like, uh, hey, we're not at the fuse. We're not at the end of the fuse yet, but we're getting like a, a bit. Hey, bud, I feel bad about that. Here, have, have some extra yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. This his gravitas is real to the audience and to the people around him. Um, I thought that was portrayed well. Um, I actually didn't count the cigarettes. I just said a number that sounded right. Uh, best supporting act. I dude, I would have, I would, I would have banked on it. <laughs> like I was like, oh, this man, this man counted. He had hashtags and everything. He was like, eh, eh, that's another cigarette. I counted the number of people that Sir Lancelot kills at Castle Swamp in Monty Python. 
Uh, but I did not count cigarettes in this movie. Fry, best supporting. My supporting on this is Robert Duvall, just because I, as much as I don't like the cavalier attitude of how Air Cav was portrayed in this, I do really enjoy the character. Like, he is playing a character, and that character is hilarious. I mean, it is a, I mean, it's a cartoon. Like he, it's, it is one of those, like this shows a specific way that a soldier can deal with combat and especially with command. And it is an interesting piece. Like I said, I want to watch this with a, with psychologists because I feel like I could put names to what I'm watching. Like I see the differentiation on people and I I want to be like, oh, it's this, but I don't know what the this is. Right, right. Uh, hey, we're two for two, uh, Brian, because I also selected Robert Duvall um, as Bill Kilgore. Uh, I, I, I think uh, his character seemed as if, and, and I, I did not serve, but I, I feel as if in the stories about the way that uh, Jake described that that scene about like. Uh, he sort of has an aura around him. He almost knows that he's going to get out of there unscathed, that people probably knew someone like that. And I bet that this was a tribute to the people that the uh, the people that assisted on this movie. Like, oh, we all knew somebody like that. Um, and I, I got to say, just as, as a bonus, whether this was direction given to him or not, um, that this character, I mean, honestly, I could do, I feel like the, the commitment to surfing was almost borderline goofy. Uh, but that it was oh it was and, and he's it, a goofy it, foot poss- possibly even too much and, and I didn't I didn't mean to make that he's yeah but I guess he's he's right foot forward he's a goofy foot but the other thing is um is every single time there's like uh, you know fire in the hole or incoming he doesn't duck he doesn't take cover at all he stands straight up it's very MacArthur McCarthy MacArthur there's a famous MacArthur. story of him walking around. Going from fighting hole to fighting hole, speaking with the troops as mortar shells are dropping down, laying around them. And it's just one of those things. It's like, oh, that inspires the troops and whatnot, I guess. But yeah. yeah he, great support. I, I always, well, I, I definitely always appreciated that uh, aspect of uh, Winner's character in Band of yes. Brothers. Or it was Spears when he runs across enemy lines and then comes back. And the fact that that's a yeah, true comes story back. blows my mind every time. Yeah. Well, speak, speaking yeah. of a of a true story, that that would actually that that's my backup hidden gem. But we still got to get your best supporting actor. Can I say Marlon Brando is my favorite supporting actor? Absolutely. He's got ten minutes. He's it's fair. He's definitely. I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's grade A, historic. I mean, he he probably had the first Hollywood star as far as I'm concerned. He's like just old school, famous Hollywood, but. He is kind of a supporting actor in this movie. He doesn't have a whole lot of lines. He doesn't have very much screen time. And when you do, it's obscured. But I think he plays the role very effectively, maybe in part because he is simultaneously himself, Marlon Brando, going crazy as these movies. Because this is later (laughs) on in his career. It's quite literally like the perfect role for him. Oh, we need you to play an aging legend who's going crazy. Oh well, guess what? We got the role for you. <laughs> it's like Francis Ford uh, Coppola. Coppola, I Coppola. with that name every time. It's like he had worked with Marlon Brando before, knew what was happening. It was like I know exactly the role for you. 
So uh, ju- just uh, because it's a good segue right here, um, it's funny because I've talked on previous podcasts about originally not getting Sofia Coppola's uh, Lost in Translation, and then as I got older, you know, gaining some understanding from it. I don't know what's in the water for that family and having very prophetic, like mind-altering movies. But hats off to yeah. them. I mean, I, I just like you know, big clap. And they're good with making the wine too. Uh, Fry, uh, you you have a hidden gem of this movie. Uh, my hidden gem was Larry Fishburne. <laughs> yeah. um, like like I said earlier, uh, there was a point in time where you know I had seen The Matrix and then went back and watched this, and I was like, "Oh no crap, yeah, that's Lawrence Fishburne." So just like I was talking about, you know, uh, Johnny Depp and in, in uh, Platoon, I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes you get to go back and watch an older movie and you see someone who is well established and well renowned now you know, cutting his chops, and that's awesome. A uh, hidden gem from you, Jake. Uh, that's pretty easy for me. So it's actually a story element. When he gets the letter, and he sees that he's not the first person to do this, right? He's actually the second person that they've sent out after Colonel Kurtz. And the other guy, they show you the letter that the, the guy has sent it's his so family. Cool. Yeah. Sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids. I'm never coming home. Scratch that. It says back. Scratched out says back. And then it's over. And you realize that, and I wish they expanded on this more, but there's an actual real threat to uh, our hero, if you can call him that, becoming the same thing and getting kind of strung up in uh, Kurtz's world and becoming, you know, the, having the same fate that this, ha- that this guy fell into. And it makes Kurtz more interesting and it creates this new threat um, that could happen to Willard that I really liked. And it was like, a, Oh, Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's such a cool so thing. With can, can I, ex- uh, can I expand on that yeah, for a no. second? So this is very much one of those like iffy things that you can't say for certain or not. But I think one of the reasons that he let Willard kill him in the end is you weren't easy enough to just bend to my will. Mm. Like you didn't just Mm. fall to, you know, what I fell to. You're better than that, but I'm not saying you can't. You can kill me. The seed has been planted. You're stronger than what they have sent before and maybe stronger than me. So maybe my ideas last. That's cool. That's a good way of thinking. Do you think that was the plan Kurtz had? Well, I'm getting back into it, I guess. I could keep going. (laughs) And I think my uh, hidden gem, uh, I've I've, I've got two here, so I'll do one real quick one. Uh, Arlie Ermey is one of the uh, helicopter pilots, hey. uh, which is pretty cool. I, I th- he was in the Philippines getting his uh, degree at the University of Manila, and they said, we need someone, and he just jumped in there. Um, and the the second one I, I had actually forgotten about, but um, when Kilgore offers his canteen, he says, anyone that would hold their guts in with a pan like that I'll offer, can drink from my canteen any day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is apparently a true story of, of someone that they had found that for three days he had kept himself 
like his guts from spilling out with a pan, and that was said by someone uh, in, that was consulting on the movie. So I think those are some pretty cool hidden gems. Now comes the, the tough one, guys. Uh, we have to recast someone in this movie. Jake, who are you recasting in this movie? I want Chef gone. I found him kind of grating and annoying. And hey, man, there, you know, and honestly, I just started looking for actors of that era. Hey, Kevin Bacon, Chef, I'm down for that. You know what I'm saying? Young Kevin Make him Bacon. a little bit, you know, more likable and less annoying. I, I'm down for that. Yeah. And that's just a personal preference. Yeah, definitely he was a caricature um, type of character. Uh, Fry, who's your recast? You know, I, uh, I, I'm i a huge In the Heat of the Night fan, uh, as well as uh, his later work in movies like The Jackal. So I was doing uh, Chief Phillips' recast as Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier is Chief? Yeah. Yep. Um, mine, mine was strange because, uh, regardless of the, the rest of his, um, you know, acting acumen, uh, I thought Dennis Hopper's character for the time that he has and the amount of lines, uh, I was like, what am I supposed to get out of him? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is he the mouthpiece or just the hype man of Kurtz? And I decided that, uh, I'd rather, instead of Dennis Hopper, I'd rather have Harry Dean Stanton as, uh, kind of the, the, the photojournalist, um, who 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 is just uh, absolutely enamored by everything that Kurtz does, um, but I, I I would say that like almost everybody else, I was really pleased with with who were filling these roles, um, especially if you were to go you know look up who was offered these particular roles, uh, <laughs> that could take a long chunk out of this podcast to go into like who was actually offered. So, what a crazy um, cast, <laughs> like honestly, the cast is absolutely stacked. Yeah. It, it Oh, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, when you take into account Dennis Hopper's screen time in this, it's it's ludicrous. I mean, and you're sitting there thinking, like, it's a psych, psychological thing, and you're going to have Dennis Hopper only in it for, you know, 15 minutes. You're like, that's not right. And it's like young Harrison Ford, young Lawrence Fishburne. It's like actors who went on to become greats and then actors who are at the end of their line like Marlon Brando it's interesting they've just got so many good you know actors in one film let's add some more names to this pod and then quickly go uh, uh, Steve McQueen uh, Al Pacino oh that were offered the roles offered roles okay. uh, Steve McQueen yep. was the first choice for Willard uh, Jack Nicholson Robert Redford uh, James Caan uh, Tommy Lee Jones Nick Nolte uh, also considered for Willard uh, Clint Eastwood is uh, said that he was offered the role, but I think he's lying. Um, so let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to the best shot of the movie. Easy, best shot. All right, Jake's got an easy, easy one. Answer, and I think if you disagree with me, you're lying. When Captain Willard comes out of the water, oh yeah, <laughs> it's so when cool. his head comes out of the water and he's got the face paint on, and he has become, you know. The the face paint represents something very specific, and it's the it's a mask. You you are abandoning your humanity. They use that over and over again. I think it's the reason Lance survives at the end is he's abandoned his humanity and just going with the flow. And it's finally you know like it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, and do it. That's how they do doing it. what doing what he's good at. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a it's a absolute fine candidate, and I I, I agree with 
the fervor that you that you entered that in with. Uh, Are you going to disagree now? Fry, what's Go yours? Ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I wish we had uh, gone into my change one thing before we hit this so I could really explain why. But my best shot is the battle at the bridge as they first introduce it. Like the, the firefight that is happening at that bridge because they're just coming out of this USO show where it's just men acting inappropriately. They did a little like jaunt into the jungle and then all of a sudden darkness combat flares. Like it was, it was startling. Like it was, it was something that they're, they're moving into into complete darkness. And it was just one of those, like it, it, I felt like it shifted the movie into a go mode that was only downshifted due to extra content from some of the longer versions of the film. Awesome, awesome. Uh, once again, an awesome use of lighting, uh, like what like what Jake had mentioned earlier. Um, yes, <clears throat> very very cool moment in that in the movie. Uh, my shot, it it'd be hard to disagree with with Jake. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make this my one B here. Oh, is uh, when uh, after Chief dies, uh, Lance is holding him in the water as he sort of lets him float on the surface, uh, cradling him. The the young guy, the eighteen year old surfer, cradling this tried and true several different trips up and down this river. Uh, the sturdiest, like the the the, the rock, second most dependable person on that boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the 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 water is like a tint of orange, um, and the lighting once again in- incredible there, and the music too. But uh, there just that moment before you see Chief's head sink into the water was 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 really pretty um, in in a movie of tension and fear and paranoia. Uh, just to have uh, like the that letting go moment was was well done. So I really like that one too, but yeah, I can't, I can't really disagree with the painted up. It's silent as he comes out. God, it's real good. All right, best overall scene, Jake. Uh, the scene that got the biggest emotional reaction for me: Clean dying and his his mom being like, "We're saving up money for your college." Ah, oh, yeah. And like, damn, all your aunties are asking about damn. you. Yeah, damn. That's if I am not a sucker. For like those heart wrenching moments gets right. me every time, and it like makes the stakes real again. It's like you're watching a movie, you're watching a movie, and then it's like something like that happens. It's like, oh yeah, these are the other playing characters and whatnot, but like these characters have lives just like I do. I've got a mom, right? I would want to hear a tape of her voice while you're out there, and then they, you die, and you're sitting there, and that message is just filled with so much hope, and you know that mom is never going to see her son again. Nope. Gets me every time. Well, and you you even have Chef who he's fought with already, and he's like holding his body, yep, saying yeah. like, "No, you know, like it, it doesn't matter what sort of animosities you had with one another. You know, it's we were on the same yep. side." Yep. Well, how about your scene, Brian? Uh, for me, it was I, I'm going to call it drunk yoga. Um, <laughs> I felt like the the psychosis of Martin Sheen to set up the movie was essential. Yeah. Um, his, 
his intro to this on saying like, I can't be home without thinking about being here. I can't be here without thinking about being home. I felt like it set up the entire movie in, in terms of, of what you needed the base elements into understanding, you know, some soldiers and then the, the deeper thoughts that they're having beyond just surfing and whatnot. It just, it, it that, that was the seed that really expanded this movie and it would be less without it. Good point. That's, that's interesting uh, that um, you, you do need, you do need just a small amount of screen time to see um, how this man is. Um, for, for me, the, the, the favorite scene of mine is that sort of like uh, last point before crossing into Cambodia, the nighttime fight scene uh, in the bunker um, I believe we get a POV shot again in this scene um, where Willard asks, who's in command here? And the guy responds, ain't you? Uh, they're they're you fighting against nothing. in the. We don't know. We don't see the enemy. They're out there somewhere. It's almost as if this world like is, is like a microcosm. They're always fighting against someone. And I think it's mentioned some, either like when they're leaving, but... They say something like, "Yeah, we we build this bridge up again, so we can say the road is open, and then they blow it up." Like, like th- th- it's just a constant struggle. There, it, there can be no winner to that fight. Uh, some people will lose lose men. You get to see that one stoic soldier with the grenade launcher just on sound alone fire his yeah. his. It's so so great. Among several other scenes, and while you guys were talking, I was kind of going. Did, did I have any other scenes that like could take top marks for me? And I just realized that there there are so many scenes that are A plus scenes that you still just have to pick one. So that was mine. Um, wardrobe or makeup moment? Mine's actually a makeup moment. Jake, what's your uh, wardrobe or makeup moment of the movie? Uh, Dustin Hopper's character walking around with like four cameras strapped to him. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's either you know wearing like traditional Vietnamese clothing or like in uniform. So there's not a whole lot of variety as far as outfit or costume design. And I think I've talked too much about the face paint already, but when he shows up and he's got like four cameras, you kind of already know who he is. He's going to be goofy. You've like figured him out just based <laughs> off of what he's wearing. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that. That yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Stands out, mm-hmm. Brian. It's an interest. Uh, sorry, I just want to comment on that for a second. It's an interesting point on photojournalism at this point, where you know people can take. Uh, worthy shots on their iphone but at the same time it you know at the same time you know everything's using power as long as it's on except these old you know 35 millimeters and stuff like that so you know just a interesting piece in photojournalism um for me for wardrobe or makeup i mean this is where i'm gonna go uh sheen coming out of the water I mean, yeah. that's yeah. that. Jake's laughing because he's seen my that's, document that's, has the exact same thing written. <laughs> that that's that's all about the aesthetic, so, right? Yeah. Like all every piece of that is about the steam coming off of the water. Mm-hmm. It's about the plants in the background. It's about the color scheme they used in the in the shining of the light and how he matched it right to his face. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's that's. That's what makeup artists, that scene, that shot is what makeup yeah, artists look That's why I put it in a shot because it's not just the makeup there. It's everything about that shot 
is fantastic. It, it, it is the the entire encapsulation. The yeah, it, it, the movie poster as it is is um it is leaves a little. I guess we'll say it's it's a little not not vague, but it's uh, it, it's it's if the movie poster was just uh the top half of Sheen's head and just his eyes coming out of the water, it would be, I think, more impactful than the current sort of half-face thing that they are using. It's the exact same makeup moment. All right, uh, another difficult one here. Uh, change one thing about this movie. Uh, Jay, it could be a broad thing that it is, but what, what would you change about this, Jake? Um, I think a lot of stuff could have been shorter. Maybe it's because I'm a millennial and my attention span is... is <laughs> Getting shorter. Uh, I I I did not like the I did not like the acting from Shep. I did not think he was a good actor, and it just kind of took me out of it a little bit sometimes. Um, so, yeah, get rid of Chef. That's it. That's it. That's an easy one. Or keep Chef. Keep the character Chef. He's important, but get a new actor. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. I, and you had wanted to ch- <laughs> to get to your change one thing already, for I, what? what Elaborate. I, I I felt like the USO show was completely unnecessary. Um, I understand that they're trying to show the contrast um, between over, yeah, the the overly vulgar like our guys are there and and they need this like fluff action to you know inspire them and what it, it just it, I thought it was. An over it was a ham handed piece there, especially locationally. Yeah. Like it wasn't like at a Saigon base or something. Yeah. I'm not sure if that would have would have happened in this. Like, oh, Charlie controls the mouth of the river, and the last base is just down the river a little bit. So we're gonna fly in some Playboy girls right here in the middle. Yeah. Uh, you know, ju- just some to get like, it. Just it, it was the playmate of the year, Brian. It, it it seemed ham-handed and not accurate. Like, that wouldn't be where that show happened. Yeah, I totally agree with I guess that. Yeah. It, it, that's so, what threw me off so, so much. So I, I felt like that segment right there could have been removed, and that was at least 25 minutes. And I, I just felt like if you had gone succinctly from the boat, you know, the, 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 the local mm-hmm. boat, into the bridge... Mm-hmm. That would have been more gravitas than adding. Look at the pigs. Yeah, it does add to the. So the one thing that scene does do is make the movie more surreal because it, it takes you out of it. You're like, what the hell is going on? It does. Oh, and now entertainment. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and so it I, could be looked at as like, okay, this is taken away from the movie, or yeah, uh, it, it's. It's a weird scene. Well, little TNA in 1979, I, 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 it's not like you're getting that as frequently as you are now. So, I mean, so, somebody may have just put that little earworm into Coppola's head. Like I, Those things happen, but Brian's absolutely right. He was friends with you. He was just like, there. The river, yeah. Surrounded by jungle. Yeah. They would be in some sort of, you know, forward operating base or patrol base or just base base. Just that's fortified and secure. If they were going to do something like that, yeah, right, doesn't make any sense. It, it, it was a, you know, it was a wild, wildly insecure location mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, we're going to, like, if you can't yeah, bring the playmate, the playmate of the year, the playmate of the year, the the air cav had a moment, uh, a moment to say, oh, maybe we shouldn't have checked Charlie Point.'" 
where they let you off, but you're going to fly play mode of the year, like 50 miles up yeah. river. Or like, how it about just, this? Where are the air cap stations? Take the playmate of the year there. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're probably secure right. wherever they're keeping yeah. the helicopters. That'd be perfect. Uh, I had a I had a couple things that were just bouncing around in my head about about changing, and uh, we learn about Kurtz through a dossier. We learn about um, Willard's fascination with him and and uh, his accomplishments through through just a voiceover and sort of talking through his head. Um, could we have gotten three to five minutes of seeing, um, like, of seeing Kurtz actually commanding, and uh, could could we have seen an example of what he's been accused of early in the movie? Um, I think I would have really liked to see that, and I say that because I was underwhelmed with the ending, um, and I don't think that would have changed my overall underwhelmedness. I just I think that the commander gone rogue is one of my favorite themes slash tropes of maybe all media, um, and I, I felt like it fell a little short uh, to me for this movie. So that that would be my change. One thing, and we were going to finish with our last superlative, the best quote of the movie, Jake. Anything narrated by Martin Sheen in this movie is quotable, but the best one is I pulled it up here. <clears throat> It was the way we had over here of living with ourselves. We'd cut them in half with a machine gun and give them a band-aid. It was a lie. And the more I saw of them, the more I hated lies. That's good. And it's in line with Colonel Kurtz hating lies, describing that he hates lies at the end and wanting... uh, And maybe this is why Kurtz lets him live, is because he knows that he also hates lies, and maybe he will actually go and tell his son. Why he's motivated to go tell he wants his son to know what actually happened, I don't know, but right. maybe that ties it together. Uh, Fry, your best quote. I absolutely love this one. I asked for a mission and for my sins. That oh, that is yeah. brought it to me, brought it up to me like yep. rooms. Yes. <laughs> yep. My my best quote. Uh, I know that people like the I love the smell of napalm in the morning line. It's it's followed by smells like victory. And the delivery of the next line, which is my favorite quote, or the best quote. Pause before he says that, I think. Yeah, and he's just leaning down, he looks around, and he says, someday this war's gonna end. And then you're waiting for him to say something poignant afterwards, and that's just it. He, like, walks off. He walks off. Like, a huge bummer that this war's gonna end someday. Yeah. For him. Like, like, that's like, oh, man, I can't imagine what life will be. Um, and now it kind of, kind of comes to the big question, our, our rating. Uh, we work on a five-star system. Uh, 0.5 is the worst that you can give, uh, whereas five is the best. We do half-star increments. Uh, Jake, I'm going to let you go first. What would you rate this movie? Three and a half. For me, this movie was a three and a half because, one, it was kind of slow. Two, there's no payoff, right? And I guess I'm, I'm, kind of a, I'm not a movie critic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like to be visually entertained. And while this movie was visually like stimulating, artsy, uh, it just not, I, it was good, not great. There but we go. That's just kind of where I'm sitting with it. That's a good 3.5 score. Uh, like that's exactly what 3.5 is to yeah. me. Fry, you're up. Uh, I gave this one a four star. Uh, also, on my growing boycott of using. 
point star <laughs> scales. Not trying to deny anyone else that. Just for me, I'm trying to stick to solid ratings. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think that myself. this movie. <laughs> I'm more precise. I, uh, I, I. I was listening to a stand-up com- uh, comic one time, and he was talking about how uh, watching romantic comedies and sad movies were emotional training for women. And I feel like the exact same thing is true for men when it comes to watching overly, call it honorific, you know, like the, the, the pieces where you're like, oh, I hope I would make the same decision sort of thing like that. And I give this one a high score because it has that ambiguity because it forces you to not be able to do that. And you can sit back and watch this film and be as confused as many times as you like, because sometimes if you've had a bad day, you'd be like, Oh yeah, Willard. Sometimes you're like, man, Kurtz is right. Kill them all. So it's, it's, it is one of those pieces where as, as it makes you think it, and it makes you feel, um, it, it also shapes, you know, your reality. And I feel like that's exactly what Coppola did in this movie. Cool explanation there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I dig that. Um, I'm actually going to match your score with a four. Um, I think this is a four star movie. Uh, I, I think it's worth the accolades it earned. I think it's slow, but I I can appreciate a slow burn. Um, I I, I was underwhelmed with the end, and I feel as if with the vision of the director, I I shouldn't have been. Like, everything else was so well-crafted that I I found myself surprised, uh, especially learning of the accolades of this movie, that it wasn't a 4.5 or a 5-star movie for me. Um, I guess that's part of it too. Um, there's, there is enjoyable movie and I feel like it's one that everybody should watch. Um, but, but I, I will say it, it, it wasn't just like a small thing at the end. It was almost the entire end. And now that we've done our rating, uh, it's time to, uh, look to next week and it's time to pick a new movie. Ry, can you assist? Absolutely. All right. I've got three options here. Option number one. See no evil, hear no evil. A blind man and a deaf man attempt to outwit thieving criminals. Option two, the out-of-towners. Hilarity ensues as a couple from Twin Oaks, Ohio, travels to New York City for a sales executive job interview. And option three, the in-laws. Right before their kids get married to one another, two men find themselves dealing with an international financial scheme. Fry, which one of these should we uh, look at next week? Okay. Uh, we got to go with option two, the outer towners. Who doesn't like living in Ohio? Me. And <laughs> what I want to do here is I, I want to thank uh, Mr. Jake Pierce for joining us. Um, for and I just want to say, you, you know, you, you might tell the, your friends about the podcast. Anything you want to say to maybe our potential new listeners? Uh, put this on y'all's radar for I know y'all do retro movies. Have y'all done? I know you did Akira. Too. Yeah, another animated uh, movie for y'all maybe to check out. One of my favorites, the nineteen eighty six, the Transformers, the movie. Um, Hasbro wanted to sell more toys, so they kill off 
every Transformer within like the first. It's very Game of Thrones. Whoa. But like a Transformers movie. It's very 80s. So if you're into that kind of new retro wave or outrun aesthetic, you're going to like it. And it's got a phenomenal soundtrack with like Weird Al Yankovic and Stan Bush. It is childhood favorite of mine and it's kind of a cult classic i run into people every now and then who have seen it and love it check it out oh also orson welles last acting role definitely last voice acting role he plays the big uh, bad uh, guy before he dies megatron no unicron Sorry, Whoa! Unicron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The planet unicron. eating transformer check it out y'all nom 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 it's good all right, that well, thank you for that recommendation, and thank you, Jake, for joining us. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Hey, producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable Be the first to give us some money. We love it. <laughs> Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? The offing was barred by a black bank of clouds and a tranquil waterway leading to the uttermost ends of the earth followed somber under the overcast sky seeming to lead into a heart of immense darkness.